just because it started to become really obvious to me that I was not in a safe environment and that and it didn't really feel like it was going to get much better there anytime soon. When I first came out to her, it really kind of threw her for a loop, blew her mind, um, which could have ended very badly, except that her immediate reaction was then, it's a difficult journey that, that the other person is about to start going down. And it's absolutely one that's going to be filled with a lot of challenges and potentially a lot of heartache, but it's their choice to make. And the, the best and really the only thing you can do is just be there for them when they need it. Welcome to episode one of the Let Me Be Perfectly Queer podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the UFE Pride Collective, and I'm your host, Beth. This podcast is filmed on Stalo territory at the University of the Fraser Valley. In this episode, I interviewed a dear friend of mine named Emma. She is a trans woman, a radio person, and a member of the UFE Pride Collective. She shared her experiences growing up in the deep south of the US and moving to Canada to find a safe haven here. I hope you enjoy. Emma. Thank you so much for joining me today for our first episode. Um, I am super excited to have you on this podcast. You're a very good friend of mine. And let's just start right at the beginning. Uh, I know you're from Georgia. Is that considered like the deep south of the US? So technically speaking, I'm from, I was born and raised in Virginia, but I oh, okay. did live for in Georgia for about five years before I came up here. Georgia is definitely deep south, yes, okay. in a lot of ways, some good, some bad. So growing up in Virginia is definitely, it's a time I hold dear because it was a very innocent time in my life before I became aware of uh, little things here and there. You know how that goes. Honestly, I think that, I think that if it weren't for the fact that unfortunately things have swung in a negative direction there in the last few years, I wouldn't be averse to ending up there. Admittedly, I love it here and I want to stay in Canada, but it, it, it still has a special place in my heart, Virginia does. Tell me more about your, your childhood, like growing up with your parents, high school. When did you realize that you were a little bit different than the other kids? Well, realizing I was a little bit different came very early because my mom my mom had to deal with the challenge of raising a, raising a kid who very suddenly started showing very overt signs of uh, neurodivergence. Mm -hmm. it, it, was, it was really interesting to her. She explained it was almost like a light switch flipped because I ended up progressing to be nonverbal for a bit once that happened. And from there, from there, it was very easy to see that I was a little bit different, and a lot of it was making it so that the differences were not going to negatively impact my ability to function. Which I know some people, I know in recent years, a lot of neurodivergent folks have really kind of pushed back against that attitude. I don't necessarily, I don't necessarily agree with that because I think that Embracing quirks is one thing, and I certainly embrace a lot of my quirks, but at the same time, there is a, there is a point where, that, where you kind of have to do, you kind of have to learn how to blend in. Mm -hmm. 
and how to mask. And it's not always a bad thing. So that was really, that was really the defining theme and the defining challenge of growing up there was just learning how to, how to mask the bad parts and how to celebrate the good parts. And I, I think I found a good balance there now. That's good, I'm glad to hear that. And when did the, the sort of queer aspect come to light for you? So the queer aspect was a little bit like having a giant neon sign put in my face. It, I'm one of those people where in hindsight, I can look back and go, oh, that was dysphoria, or oh, that was dysmorphia, or what have you. But in the moment, I just wrote it off as one of those things that all boys had to think through mm -hmm. and work their way through. Can you think of a specific example of that moment where you kind of looked back and you're like, oh, that was a moment of dysphoria that I didn't realize until later? Realizing that it really explained why I'd always had more of an affinity for writing female gendered characters, mm. female identifying characters in my creative writing. And just generally always having a little bit more of an easier time understanding how to get into that mindset. So creative writing was one of those outlets where you were able to express yourself in, and that kind of like revealed things later in your life? Yes, yes, absolutely. I, be I believe in, uh, one of my friends ended up referring in hindsight to a lot of my creative writing from that period as, quote, Narnia deep in the closet <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a pretty accurate description. When did you learn about what being trans was? Like, did you know about it growing up? Like, what was your first introduction? And when did you realize that that was something that described your experience? I think I knew of it vaguely from media for from a younger age. Not much, admittedly, and certainly not portrayed in a particularly non-stereotypical light. but. It took until it, it took until I was well into my teens before I really started to be exposed to it in a more genuine way because I started meeting trans folks, a lot of whom I still call friends to this day. And they really they really were the ones who start who started to give me that better understanding. And they were also the ones who took one look at me and went, that person is an egg. <laughs> Interesting. So was this in Virginia or Georgia or both? This was very much more so in Georgia okay. than in Virginia. And most of them were very much um, more acquaintances that I made online. I did run into one or two trans folks in Georgia, but those were after I came out. And what, what was it like? Was it hard to meet other queer folks in Georgia? Like, I'm... Um, I'm just assuming that it's probably, you know, it's the, the south of the United States, not the most queer accepting space. So how, what was that experience for, like, for you trying to find that community in Georgia? Honestly, I don't know that I really necessarily made that much of an effort to find that community. Um, certainly it exists. Atlanta has a pretty well-known queer scene going for it although it's a little on the underground side at times. But where I lived, I lived in a more rural area 
about an hour or two outside of Atlanta, and there really wasn't any kind of a network there because there really weren't that many of us there, whether that's because there just weren't many because of the population or because most were in the closet, I couldn't say. But really, honestly, a lot of it was just running into a few folks once I started university and once I started exploring a little bit more, being a little bit more open about it. I wasn't out fully socially until I came up here, but I did experiment a bit while I was down there in IRL. Um, and that definitely, that brought me a few connections. You were more fully out online and in online spaces before you came out IRL? Yes, I was out to a few trusted friends and my mom immediate, almost immediately IRL. Online, it was a gradual thing. Mostly, mostly it was fairly immediate. There were one or two communities where I waited a bit longer just to kind of get a feel for how they might react. And there's one area where I'm still not fully out just because the reaction was strongly negative. And I ended up uh, cutting back my involvement to the bare minimum in that group as a result. And is that an online group that you're referring to? Less a group, more a community, more a, I suppose the hip term these days is a fandom. Oh, okay. um, there's a lot of people there who are very much um, a little bit more conservatively minded. Do you want to share what the fandom is or keep it on the low? <laughs> well, I suppose this will simply demonstrate just how much of a nerd I am, but it's actually a fandom revolving around like air raid tornado sirens stuff, oh. things of that sort. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I know we've had conversations about about that before, and I think I think it's a cool hobby to have. I think it's cool, and I'm sorry to hear that the community is not accepting. Most of the community, there are some folks, thankfully, mm. and I I have managed to keep those connections alive and well. Yeah. So you started going to university in Georgia, correct? Yes. Yes. When did you? come up with a plan um, or like realize that Canada was where you wanted to be? So it was something that had been in the back of my head for some years, ever since things really started to go downhill in the States. I don't think that it ever really started to gel into a concrete definitive plan until about right about when COVID hit really, um, just before it just because it started to become really obvious to me that I was not in a safe environment and that, and it didn't really feel like it was going to get much better there anytime soon. Can you share a little bit of like what those, what, what's kind of going on in the States right now and like how that personally impacted you, like some specific moments? Well, it's really just the, it's really just the general, the racism, the bigotry, the queer phobia. I mean, there's, there's so many examples. I don't need to go into detail about that. Just read the news. But for specific examples that I encountered down there, um, the most, the the number one thing that I can think of was actually bearing witness to blackface jokes going around in the, in my time as a volunteer firefighter among the other firefighters, which was extremely disheartening and extremely infuriating in the moment. Honestly, I'm glad I had enough self-restraint to, um, to keep my arms down or I may have wound up with an assault charge. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, 
But really, other than that, it was just a lot of witnessing things like that, seeing seeing dog whistles in in the signs people would have in their yards, in the stickers they would have on their cars. One time I was in buying parts for my computer and another customer was sitting there talking about his little survivalist hideout in the mountains. Just things like that. Not really, uh, not really the ideal environment for someone like me to be in. What did, what did you hear about Canada before planning your trip over here? And like, tell me a little bit about that process of like deciding that was where you wanted to go and then the planning and then actually arriving here. Well, I had visited Canada once before, some years before on a field trip, Quebec City to be specific. I was sick for half of it, but made the most of it. I think that's why I ended up eating nothing but poutine for the first week or two after I came up here for, to stay. But a lot of it was just, I had heard that Canada was a lot more welcoming in a general sense, which is something that by and large has held true, quite thankfully. Um, so I started to do a lot of more in-depth research and realized that there were certain areas that were going to be better than others because it's not, this is not a utopia, it's not paradise, but the overriding thought in my head really became paradise is a relative term. That's kind of been my mantra. As I was looking at schools to transfer to, that was something that I kept in the back of my head. And despite the fact that Abbotsford did have a reputation that came up, UFE still ended up just being the one that ticked the right boxes. So I took the chance and started um, making applications. And they were, and this was one of the first schools I applied to, and one of the ones that took me on. Well, I'm glad that you made it here. You drove how many hours was it to get here? It took me nine days to drive here, but that was because I took the scenic route. I one thing that I did get instilled in me from a very young age growing up was quite the. Uh, quite the wanderlust. Annual road trips to Pennsylvania and then three or four cross-country trips will uh, do that to you. So once you arrived in Canada and sort of settled, um, tell me about just that first year. Like, was it everything you'd hoped for or was it a huge disappointment or somewhere in the middle? It definitely leaned more towards everything I'd hoped for. Obviously, there, there were certain surprises that caught me off guard. No matter how much time I spent studying the lay of the land and what to expect and what options I'd have for dinner, there was still going to be culture shock. And there was quite a bit of it. And there was definitely a very noticeable, I felt it was a noticeable increase in the academic difficulty, the amount of academic rigor involved in the work that I had to do, which was really stressful to work through and something I'm honestly still working through. But overall, overall, the first year or so, I think was really just a matter of learning how to, how to get my sea legs, as it were. I think the biggest disappointment, honestly, was that it did take me some time to really start to, to make friends um, and influence people. <laughs> I did make one or two right off the bat, but not perhaps not as many as I would have hoped, which which was a little disheartening at first because that had been a real struggle for me in the states in school, even discounting 
even discounting my struggles with my identity and what that would entail down there. But as time has gone on, I've, I've found people and they've introduced me to people and now I've actually, I feel like I've managed to carve myself a nice little slice of the pie. I'm really glad to hear that. I'm sure it was a very isolating experience coming to a new country, the culture shock and struggling to find friends and community. And I know UFB is not known to be the best campus for like <laughs> campus life and getting involved, but I think it's getting better slowly. I think it's getting better too. I, the school that I came from in the States also had a reputation of being a bit more of a commuter campus, but I've definitely noticed that there's a lot more of an active effort to change that here than it felt like there was at, at the school I was at before. Tell me about, you know, your experience at UFB. Do you feel supported as a queer person, as a neurodivergent person? Where do you feel like that's lacking, like just specific to our campus? Or is it is it good? In a general sense, I think that it's a lot better than, than some people give it credit for. Um, are there things that can be improved? Absolutely, I'll get into that here in a moment. But on in a general sense, I have absolutely felt supported as a queer person and as a neurodivergent person here. One of the things that really gave me a, a really good vibe actually happened before I'd even come here for the first time. Um, when I was applying to the school, I wound up sending an email to the admissions folks asking that they put a note in my record about my preferred name because that had been the best I was able to pull off at my old school. I figured maybe I can achieve that. And the response back that I got was that not only did they change my name in the record, they changed my student email too and everything, which was far more than I'd ever managed to get out of my old school. So that alone was just really encouraging and really welcoming. And then coming here and finding things like seeing one of these flags in the window at, at the housing and immediately immediately having professors asking what my preferred name was if the if for some reason they had my dead name in their in their sheets and just generally having having the professors really care about that sort of thing is really stuck out to me and on the neurodivergent front i've had a lot of I've had a lot of grace shown to me, is the word that I like to use, just in terms of due dates and understanding the workload that I'm under and understanding a lot of the stress that's involved. I, I think that's something that is really kind of under-celebrated, under is just the little things like that. Now, it's not perfect, of course. There are, there are some voices here that are really not as supportive. There's exceptions to every rule. That's how that goes. And it's something that, it's something that we've definitely been struggling with recently, as, as you well know, Beth. But on the whole, I would say that, on the whole, I would say that it's a lot better than it might look at first glance. What would you recommend to other students other queer students, maybe high school students, who are considering UFV as their potential post-secondary? Like, do you think it's a good option? I think that it is overall a good option. 
you're not getting the size, the scale of a school like SFU or UBC or what have you, which can be a double-edged sword at times, but overall, I would say that this is a school that is certainly growing and it's a school where it's a school where the where the more vocal the more vocal factions the queer whether it's whether it's the pride collective or other queer focused organizations on campus or allies are really in the last year or two, I would say that there's really been a big push to step up and start maybe taking on a little bit more of an activist role here, which has definitely has definitely been really gratifying to see and I, I think is helping to make the campus and the school a safer, better option for queer for queer folks. Mm -hmm. And really, honestly, just in, in a broader academic sense, I would say that especially if you're trying to work through identity and such, the last thing you want to do is also deal with the fact that you have a 200-person class where the prof has no idea who you are. And that's definitely not something that I've ever experienced here. I really appreciate the, the more casual is the word I think I'd use, the more casual, smaller, more individually focused setting here. I think that works well both just in the academic sense and in the sense of finding yourself because you build those connections a lot easier that help you navigate the journey. Yeah, I like I like the small class sizes as well and um, it's also a lot easier I feel to get involved. Pride Collective for example because it's such a small group it's like very easy to you know join the executive start planning events and really see the impact that you're making. Do you want to share a little bit about your experience joining the Pride Collective and some, so your involvement in some of our events? I mean, obviously I know, but you can share for the people who are listening. <laughs> yes, for, for those of you at home. So my main, my main avenue to get actively involved in the Pride Collective was through my work with the campus radio station, Civil Radio, because the Pride Collective was getting ready to host the, our big uh, queer prom. I wound up getting involved to help out with the music and entertainment side of that. And between that and already having a couple friends who were involved in the Pride Collective, like you, Beth, I just kind of got roped into things. <laughs> it, it, I don't know that it was really, um, I don't know that it was strictly intentional because I honestly wasn't sure how much capacity I'd have or whether I'd be able to do to work in a leadership role, but it just, it felt like it came kind of naturally. And the other folks in the collective have been incredibly supportive and incredibly welcoming of, of myself and more than, more than happy to make use of my skills and more than happy to try to make sure that I don't end up in a situation where I feel like I've bitten off more than I can chew. And that's something that's really valuable to me, I think. I am personally very happy to have you on our team. I think you provide a very valuable perspective. And that's what makes us stronger as a collective, having a diverse executive team uh, who all bring different skills and different like experiences to the table is really important. So I am curious to hear more about um, your journey and the people who supported you in your, your coming out and um, figuring out who you were and finding places that um, accept, accept who you are and your full identity. So tell me about 
who has supported you through that? Well, first and foremost, my mom has definitely been quite supportive in the end. Um, when I first came out to her, it really kind of threw her for a loop, blew her mind, um, which could have ended very badly, except that her immediate reaction was then to decide, I don't know how to handle this. I need to talk to someone who does, which led to her driving down to Atlanta and talking to talking to folks at one of the at one of the queer clinics down there. So really, she did the best thing she, she possibly could have there. And since then, over the last four years or so, she's really evolved into quite an ally, honestly. Like, she's, uh, she's the sort of mom who will go up onto TikTok because, of course, she's in her, in her early 60s and she's into TikTok a million times more than I am. <laughs> But she will go up there and she will and she will readily go after homophobes on there and then support queer creators too. And it's just honestly, it's amazing to see. And um, I mean, beyond that, I don't really have a lot of family in general, but most of the ones who I actually talk to are are at least or at least have a positive attitude towards me over it. And then I, I'm very happy to have a, a several different friend circles, really, who, who took it well and have, and have accepted me for who I am. And really, honestly, in a lot of those circumstances, the best I would want or could ask for is just to not have it be an issue. And it hasn't been an issue. And when it has been an issue, they've come down on my side every time. And that's, that's amazing to me. I'm really happy that you have that support. I think it's so important to have. And I'm wondering what kind of advice could you give to maybe a parent or a friend who who knows somebody that they love who's questioning or has come out either as trans or just queer in general? Like what advice would you give them? I would say that there's two main pieces of advice that I would give. Number one, for sure, help them but don't judge them because Yes, it's a difficult journey that that the other person is about to start going down. And it's absolutely one that's going to be filled with a lot of challenges and potentially a lot of heartache, but it's their choice to make. And the, the best and really the only thing you can do is just be there for them when they need it. And the second piece of advice that I, the second piece of advice that I would give is to keep an open mind to it and just realize that not only are they about to go down that journey, that neither of you are going to have any idea where that journey is going to go. <laughs> and you might be about to you might be about to be exposed to a whole lot of new concepts, new terms, new ways of expressing yourself beyond what it wherever wherever this one path may take you. And the best thing that you can do is really just take that first piece of advice and apply it to everyone because people are people no matter what and they're gonna live their lives how they're gonna live. And the only business you have in it is to be there for them when they need you. That was very well said, very well said. Being open-minded is a struggle sometimes. Even, even for me, just since I moved up here, I've learned a lot more about what being two-spirit means. Yeah, do you wanna share a little bit more about your experience of learning new things and 
being more open-minded and like what, how that's been for you? In terms of in terms of my own experiences, like learning about identity and such, I think that that's really, I think that that's really just been a matter of taking that advice and applying it to myself too. I mean, especially since coming up here, because I've learned a lot more about like about the indigenous perspective on all of this and about what that means to try to. Um, to try to balance that identity with everything else. I mean, even in the States, even among queer folks, I think that that's something that's not really common knowledge in the way that it ought to be. And I'm really, I've been really glad to see that it is something that a lot of folks are a bit more aware of here. And I've been really grateful to have the opportunity to, to learn and experience it since moving up here. For somebody who is brand new to all of this queer stuff, um, if they were to approach you and wanted to know more about what your experience is, like being trans, being queer, even being neurodivergent, what are you okay with talking about? Um, just in case there's anyone who is curious to learn more and would want to approach you with that. I would like to think that I'm a pretty open book when it comes to what I'm willing to talk about. I mean, Certainly, there are some intimate things, and there are some ways of phrasing questions that are better than others. Like, I would be very offended if someone came up to me and their first question was, what was under my pants? <laughs> um, but in a general sense, I'm, I'm really quite open to answering questions about, like, how I figured how I figured things out, how I approach a lot of these things. I think that I think that really it's just a matter of of the attitude. You know, I I don't appreciate feel, feeling like I'm being judged, but I certainly I certainly don't mind genuine curiosity. And I if I can teach you something that you didn't know, or maybe help you understand something that you're struggling with a little bit better. I would love to have that opportunity. I've only had a few people ask me questions, but in a general sense, I would say that it's been more of the um, it's been more of the genuine side than anything. Um, I can't remember having an uncomfortable question or two, but on the whole, I would say that most folks are pretty respectfully curious. I'm curious what advice you would give to yourself from like five or 10 years ago. Just think about little Emma and what, what would she have needed to hear in that era of her life? There would certainly be no small amount of throwing the neon sign up in front of myself. Um, but in a general sense, I think that a lot of it is really just um, be brave, you know? Be brave and, and trust that the people who matter are, who that the people who really truly matter are going to be there for you when the dust settles. Because one thing that my mom did have to work through a fair bit after I came out was the fact that I had heard about so many negative experiences that I ended up not really trusting that she was going to take it well, which colored how I approached her when I came out to her, which in hindsight for her and for me, upset her far more than me actually coming out did. I, I think that really is just a matter of having a, having a little bit of faith in 
whatever higher power you may or may not believe in, that things will work out the way they're meant to work out. Do you want to share a little bit about your experience? Like you mentioned a higher power and share a little bit, because I'm sure there's other queer folks out there who are struggling with that religious aspect, especially in what we call the Bible belts of British Columbia. <laughs> yeah, um, and this is a this is an argument or a debate, I suppose, that I've had with a fair number of folks because a lot of queer folks that I know absolutely are absolutely wholeheartedly atheists. Um, and if anything, I think that's one area where I've definitely gotten a lot of judgment from other queer folks is the fact that I am not an atheist. But I'll admit that I do have a somewhat unique perspective on it. Um, even before I came out, I already did because my mom was a very long time lapsed Catholic. And then there was the obvious, the obvious more Protestant influences of living in the South and a fair amount of other things. Because my mom's been, my mom's a fairly free spirit on that front too. I think the biggest single thing that's really helped me reconcile it was really the fact that I already believed in the doctrine of um, universal reconciliation. For, for those not familiar, it's basically holding that um, in the end, no matter what, you are, you are going to be reconciled with God. And that really helped for me because there was always that kind of dissonance between the whole, oh, you know, he loves you, so on and so forth. But then also, if you're not following the straight and narrow, for whatever definition of straight you might prefer here, then it's fire and brimstone for eternity for you. And that's, um, that's really helped a lot because that's really, that kind of short-circuited that whole, oh, homosexuality is a sin thing. Well, if it's such a sin, then in the end, it doesn't really matter anyway, does it? <laughs> that's something you'll be forgiven for in the end. Be gay, do crimes. <laughs> yeah, that's a very, very unique perspective. I appreciate you sharing that. Can I throw an addendum to that? Actually, oh, yes. Go ahead, of course. So I think more important for me than, than universal reconciliation is really just the middle ground that I've always tended to take between the whole intelligent design thing and then evolution. Because it, as far as I'm concerned, it's pretty irrefutable that evolution is absolutely a thing that exists and has been happening. But for all we know, who knows, maybe uh, maybe there was a little bit of a framework that was set up and then um, let go with a big bang. Who knows, we, we have no way of figuring that out. And really, either way, no matter how you look at it, if it's such, a, if it's such an unnatural sin, then um, why were we born that way in the first place? And I know it is hard, like, when you're raised religiously and it's kind of all you've ever known, and it's hard, it's hard to have an open mind when there's fire and brimstone. <laughs> fire and brimstone in the cards if you stray. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's always been a balancing act, mm -hmm. which I, I think it was really surprising to me. I have an old friend. We don't talk all that much anymore just for other reasons, but um, he's a pretty, pretty devout Southern Baptist which is like one of the, generally one of the most hostile groups you could possibly deal with. And he accepted me and we're still friends. Wow, that's, <laughs> that's really great. That's really great. You never know, you cannot judge a book by its cover. 
Okay, I want to ask, where do you see yourself, where do you hope to see yourself in the next five or 10 years? Um, just in your life in general, um, maybe like how do you want to see the Fraser Valley improve? And yeah, I'm just curious, like what are your hopes for the future? In a general sense, I would like to, I would like to see the activism that's really sprung up continue on because there is a bit of a pushback and that's something that's happening all over the world really. Um, and it's important that that be, it's important that that not just um, happen without opposition because Canada is definitely one of the safer places to be, one of the more forward looking places in the world, but it's something that you absolutely have to it's something that you absolutely have to look at as a blessing and a privilege and not just the natural order of things because as as we've seen certain those elements that are really starting to dominate the conversation i think in the states are absolutely a thing here too and they'll keep festering if, if whether we fight them or not so and that's a fight worth fighting for sure not just for us but for everyone and for whoever's going to come after us in the Fraser Valley specifically, I think that continuing to work on building a bit more of that campus life here is going to be a benefit for everyone, whether they're whether they're queer or an ally or what have you. I think that that's just generally a positive thing. And continuing to build that sense of community, because this is a this is an area that's growing at a pretty good clip on the whole, and that that creates a whole set of challenges for building that community that's going to be here for the long run and stay here for the long run. And for me personally, I would just like to stay and keep on being a part of it. It's been a bit of a struggle at times, financially, academically, what have you, but it's a struggle that I think is worth fighting too, just on my own individual level, because I, I feel like I've actually managed to build myself a nice little life here and I don't necessarily plan on leaving BC Bible Belt or no. Yeah, that's really great. I really like what you said about the pushback and how we, we can't just assume that everything in Canada is like this because like there was a fight in the first place to get to the point that we are and there is going to be pushback, but we can't stop fighting against it because we think that this is how things are always going to be. It's been a really interesting dissonance because a lot of, and some folks I've talked to with this viewpoint are Canadian, but I'll, I've also run into some Americans with this viewpoint, where if you talk to them, they'll go on this tirade about how it's not actually any better here than it is in the US or how it's actually worse and we're just better at hiding it. And I mean, I don't, I don't agree with that. And really, honestly, I think that's somewhat counterproductive because one of the big challenges I think going forward is going to be finding that balance between the activism and not um, alienating people with that activism. Because unfortunately, as much as, as much as I might support a lot of, a lot of these efforts and as much as they might be necessary efforts. If you continue to focus on nothing but the negative, you're just going to tune people out. Because 
if you look at the world as a glass half empty, then your life becomes a glass half empty, and that's no way to live a good life. Sometimes you just really have to learn to appreciate the positives and appreciate everything that we've fought for and won and what we have now. That's a really good perspective that you have coming from a much, in comparison, much more conservative place. And I wonder, do you ever notice yourself like struggling to see the glass half full and how do you sort of get yourself out of that and remember to be grateful and to see things on the positive side? It is something that I struggle with a lot. Um, I mean, certainly anytime you put on the news or open an app on your phone, I guess, I'm kind of old school. I still actually sit down and watch the news every night. Um, well, most nights. But it's very easy to end up in that kind of pessimistic, defeatist mindset when you do that, because there's just constantly stories of how, of how there's so many problems that need to be addressed, whether it's, whether it's queer-specific issues, or if it's things like healthcare in general, or, or housing, um, or what have you. It can, really, it can really make you feel like we're teetering on the edge of imploding. But really, I think that a lot of um, what counteracts that for me is just getting out there and living life with people, you know, hanging out with friends, going to events, or really just um, take, sometimes it's taking me time. Because, yeah, these problems are issues that are absolutely going to have to be addressed one way or another. But how much can you as one person really do about it? You cannot... You cannot fix the staffing issues at the hospitals. You cannot build 500,000 new homes for all the new people coming to Canada. Sometimes you just have to learn to let it go and let the people who actually have, a, have enough clout to do something about it do what they will. Yeah. If, if you don't like them, vote them out. Emma, what is one thing that you wish people knew about you just by looking at you? Just by looking at me. Well, I can be a bit socially awkward. I, people can certainly look at me and see that, but maybe just the fact that I try my best not to be a jerk. <laughs> um, sure, I've got quirks. Sometimes I mess up. That's pretty invariable, but I try to be a good person. I. I certainly strive for that in the things that I do. And um, maybe maybe the deepest, darkest secret that I wish people could see so that it wouldn't be a secret is just the fact that I am a complete, unabashed, unashamed nerd and am happy to info dump endlessly about the things that I'm passionate about. Okay. Also, I have a little bit too much of a fondness for poutine. <laughs> Well, we'll have to go get poutine sometime. Yes. <laughs> okay, well, thank you so much, Emma, for coming and being interviewed and sharing your experience and everything. Thank you so much for having me, Beth. It's been an absolute pleasure to be here. 